0: Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 21 to 35. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. And if you've been with us for the last three weeks or so, we've been going through this chapter. Uh, this chapter has primarily focused on living together as disciples uh, from a practical perspective. How do we do life in the church? And so, we can have a, a gospel-centered, a doctrine-centered, a theology-centered church, but if the people are not practically applying the truths of Scripture in the church, the church will be sick, the church will be weak, and it will fall apart. And so this morning's message is for our church and for our church family. As we do life together, um, and for those who are, you know, visiting, um, and as you're worshiping with us together this morning, I want to encourage us, I want us to reflect on the health of the church and the fellowship of the believers because it directly correlates with how the church deals with sin. So A.W. Tozer says, no sin is private. It may be secret, but it's not private. Sin is three-dimensional and has consequences in three directions, toward God, toward self, and toward society. So when there is sin or an offense between believers, we must resolve it. It must be cut out immediately so to protect the sanctity of the church and the name of God. And so this morning our passage deals with the issue of forgiving one another, whether it's a brother or a sister, in the family of God. True biblical forgiveness is not always easy, right? But we as followers of Christ should always be ready to dispense forgiveness Towards one another. So, as Pastor Phil usually says, what's the big idea? What what are we supposed to take away from this sermon this morning or from, from this message? So the big idea this morning is that you should forgive others as you have freely received forgiveness, so that you do not incur the judgment of your Heavenly Father. So this morning we're going to look at basically two points. It's, it's nothing profound. It's, it's nothing deep. It's really just Peter's question. Peter has a question, and Jesus gives an answer. Really, that's what it is. It's that discourse. Um, Peter's inflated question is, is, is something that we'll focus on for a little bit, and then really the, the, the heart or the, the meat of the message is, the, is Jesus' incredible answer. And in that answer, uh, I want you to consider two thoughts regarding forgiveness. Number one... Forgiveness is first and foremost about God the Father. And number two, forgiveness is only possible because God the Son. Those are the two points that we will consider. So, let's read our passage this morning. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So this passage begins with Peter's question, his inflated question, right? Peter comes up to Jesus and says to him, Lord, how often... Well, my brother sinned against me, and I forgive him. Leave it to the group's spokesman. Leave it to Peter to ask a follow-up question to what Jesus was already teaching. In fact, what Peter's alluding to here is restoring what Jesus had answered about restoring a fallen brother or a sister back in the flock. Specifically, Peter was picking up on Jesus' words in verse 15 when he said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And so Peter lashed on to that go, and if your brother sins against you. And so Peter's like, okay, so how many times am I supposed to go, Lord? How many times am I supposed to forgive him for sinning against me? How many times must I do this? And this is really Peter trying to just kind of get a, a gauge of, like, like how often am I supposed to how long should I be patient how long do I need to be long suffering when dealing with another brother or a sister And before Peter can or I'm sorry before Jesus can even answer the question Peter gives his own answer and his own question Is seven times enough does that suffice should it be seven times Wow Peter what a what a noble and gracious answer I'm sure Peter's thinking Jesus is going to be impressed with my answer I'm, I'm, I'm being patient, I'm being long-suffering, right? I'm showing my brother that I'm going to give him seven times that opportunity to, and, and seek forgiveness. There's a reason why Peter was asked this question in such a way, because back during that time, the rabbis, in their arrogance and in their, in their subjective interpretation, taught that one should forgive an offender three times a day. And so... For Peter to say seven times, it's twice plus more, right? And so seven representing seven, Peter's really thinking, I'm giving the perfect answer. I think this this will suffice. I think this is a good answer. One commentator observed, Peter's response sounds as if the forgiving spirit were a commodity that could be weighed or measured or counted, as if it could be parceled out little by little to a certain and defined unit when further distribution would have to stop. And so, Peter is just trying to get a gauge of, Lord, how much do I need to do? And I think we have to be careful because sometimes, like Peter, we tend to put a value on our forgiveness. We put a value on how much, man, this guy or this girl or this person, I've forgiven them over how much longer do I have to keep doing this? So, Let's look at the response of Jesus because Jesus gives a pretty incredible answer, right? From basically verses 22 to 34, or 35 actually. He says, no, Peter, your answer actually reeks of rabbinic hypocrisy and legalism. You need to forgive him 77 times. Basically, Jesus is saying there should be unlimited forgiveness for those who truly Seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Friends, there should be no boundary that should constrict forgiveness in the life of a believer. You know, as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think of a meme um, that kind of comes across your Facebook here and there. And so I wanted to show you, this is what I pictured in my mind, this interaction between Jesus and Peter. You know, seven times, Lord, and like, no, Peter. Seventy-seven times. Now, this is this is Kenny's interpretation, right? So I'm sure the Lord was much more gracious than that. But you you understand this this answer completely destroys Peter's misguided assumption of what forgiveness is. Now, I want to stop here, and, and I want to be careful. Just as I showed that meme, that we want to be we want, that we're not quick to judge. Peter's misguided answer with our dissatisfaction. It's easy to think, well, if I was with the Lord, I'm sure I would have had a better answer. I'm sure I could have thought of something a little bit more, more gracious to say, right? It's tempting to think that, you know, um, you know P- Peter, Peter was like, what's going on with him? Like, he should have gotten this by now. He's been with Jesus for almost three years now. So be, let's be careful to just not, you know, write Peter off because I, I truly believe that Peter's heart was in the right place. I think Peter's heart was in the right place. At least he was asking the right question. What do I mean by that? His motivation was in the right place. He realized that it was his duty to forgive, that it was his obligation to forgive. And we'll talk more about that. Why is it important to forgive? Why is it important to forgive? Well, we forgive as an act of gratitude, right? We forgive because it it restores, it brings peace, and ultimately... As the church, we reflect the glory of God to the world. If there is discord in our church, if there's disunity and quarrels among us, how will this display the character and the holiness of God? How will people see that there's something different about us, that there's, there's something different about the followers of Jesus Christ? If we are constantly struggling, and if, we're constantly, if there's constant tension and constant... Um, Strife amongst people. So before we get on Peter, I really think he was trying. I really believe he was really trying. And and you have to remember he was also probably representing the other disciples. And and so Peter was getting it. He really was. Um, Even though it wasn't as fast or not as with ease as we would think he, he should have gotten it, he was getting it. So let me ask you a question. Are you getting it? Do you get it when it comes to forgiveness? Let's consider right now, by the way of application, before we go any further, is there a person or persons that you have consciously forgiven in the last week or month or even in the last year at least seven times for the same or similar offense? Let me ask you a more specific question. Is there an area in your relationships where you have not forgiven maybe your spouse, maybe your child, when they do something over and over again. Where you harbor bitterness, or there's a grudge, or you just sweep it under the rug just because you just want to deal with your spouse, or you don't want to deal with your child. It's like, they make me angry, but you know what, I'm just going to, whatever. I'm just going to move on. That's not forgiveness. Here's another area. What about another church member or even another church that may have hurt you? You hear the same pastor or leader, he's doing, he's just not going away, he just keeps doing the same thing but in a different church and with different people. How does that make you feel? So you see, I think Peter is asking the right question. How many times, Lord, but my question for you is Have you even tried to forgive at least seven times that Peter is suggesting? So, Jesus gives a very helpful explanation by the way of a parable, right? To further stress the importance of the power of forgiveness. And so, here I would like us for us to consider this first observation that forgiveness is first and foremost about God the Father. <laughs> Luke 20 or uh, look at chapter, uh, I'm sorry, verse 23 and 24. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to sell his accounts with his servant. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So here we have a, a king and a servant, and the king wants to settle the accounts with the servant, right? Pretty, pretty self-explanatory. And so the servant is called in to sell the debt that he owes, and... This servant owes him, the king, 10,000 talents. Now, I, I think there's a huge significance to the amount that he owes. And I, before we just kind of glaze over and keep moving on, this is really important for you to understand. He owes 10,000 talents. Let me give you a comparison. Let me put that in perspective for you this morning. As a, as a worker during the time of Jesus, a worker usually earned a denarii a day. And so a talent was worth 600 denarii. So it was 600 days worth of labor for one talent. And so if he owed 10,000 talents, this, la- this laborer or this servant would owe 60 million, it, w- it would take him 60 million days or roughly 193,000 years if you calculate 60 million by 310 days a year. So he... He owed a lot of money. In in our um, interpretation, in in our uh, context of today, he would would owe zillions of dollars, basically. It would be a significant amount. This wasn't just chump change. This wasn't something like, oh yeah, here you go. I I can pay that. No big deal. This was an extraordinary amount of money that this man owed. So you get it, right? That Jesus says this man owed this much. Pretty much impossible to pay back, impossible on his own. And so verse 25 says, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and a payment to be made, so, that, so then the servant actually fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. And because the debt was so great, the king decided, you know what, I'm going to sell you And sell your belongings and your family. I'm going to get some sort of compensation back for what you owe me. Because it is so great. But what does the servant do? What is his reaction? He falls down on his knees. He begs the king, mercy, mercy. Do you see the irony in the fact that the servant actually implores the king? He begs the king for more time because he's going to pay back everything? Do you, get, do you get that word, everything? I will pay you back everything. Zillions of dollars. I'm going to pay you back everything, Lord. I mean, the request by the servant is just as comical, is just as ludicrous as the amount that he owed the king. And what's even, it's, it's just like building because what's even more crazier than that is the fact that the king, overcome with pity, overcome with compassion for the servant, actually just releases him, and forgives him. You're like, whoa, what just happened? He's just, there's nothing? He doesn't have to do anything? Like, that's it? Here you have unmerited grace offered by a king to a servant for a debt that the servant could probably never pay back in his life. And definitely not on his own merit, definitely not, you know, on his own accord. And so, how does that relate to us? As we've already established, this is Jesus giving a parable. This is Jesus talking in a parable to illustrate a truth, right? And a parable is an earthly story to communicate a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable is. And so, how does this parable apply to us so far? If you were to put yourself in in the servant's shoes... Well, if you haven't guessed it, obviously, the king in the story is God and the, the servant is you, right? I mean, that's pretty pretty easy. And as we're working through this parable, did you notice that how this story actually revolves around money, monetary amount that is owed by the servant? This is actually why we also read the Lord's Prayer this morning in the New Testament reading. Because it's the same language that Jesus uses earlier in Matthew chapter 6 when he uses the word debt for the sin which needs to be forgiven. Just as you exchange monetary funds for paying a debt, there is a transaction. When you seek reconciliation, when you seek forgiveness, it is also transactionary. There's an exchange. It's reciprocal. There's a, there's a give and take. We need to establish that. You need to understand that's how forgiveness works. Jesus is reminding his followers that there's, there's a debt that is owed for the sins and there must be a transaction. There must be a payment for those sins. And if you have not come to a, a proper understanding of the weight of your debt, of the, of the weight of your sin against God, then you will tr- really truly never appreciate the power of forgiveness for yourself or towards others. The only way to understand your debt is by understanding who God is and what he requires of you. Our Father, he is perfect. Our King, our Father, he is holy. He does not need forgiveness from us. But we have fallen so short We have fallen so short of his standard, and we are continually, daily accruing a debt against him through our sins and through our transgressions. We are accruing this zillion dollars worth of debt, and it's every day. It's just building, it's not going to stop because of sin. So you see, forgiveness, is a, it's a reflection. Forgiveness is a, a reflection of God's character. Because forgiveness is actually a tangible outcome of how our Father shows us His mercy, how He shows us His love, how He shows us His grace and compassion towards us. It's a, it's a tangible outcome. So, Let me establish again, forgiveness is vertical. It has to be between you and God the Father before it can be horizontal. Before you can start forgiving others or before you can actually extend that forgiveness, you first need to have that right relationship with the Lord. It has to begin vertically. It must begin with God because forgiveness flows from God. It just doesn't begin. It literally, it is of God. That is the only way we can forgive. In Psalm 51, David's confession, right? David had sinned against Uriah. He had sinned against Bathsheba. He had sinned against uh, God's people, right? And in his prayer of confession, who does he first and foremost acknowledge? Lord, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Forget Uriah, forget Bathsheba, forget Nathan, forget the people of Israel. Only against you have I first sinned and done this great offense. Sadly, we live in a world, we live in a culture with such a skewed perspective on forgiveness. And sometimes we allow this culture to define forgiveness for us and for ourselves. Forgiveness doesn't, for this world, ne- doesn't necessarily begin with God, does it? In fact, forgiveness sometimes is so skewed that people think forgiveness is it's about comfort. It's about avoiding conflict. Forgiveness is not about that. It's not about pacifying or appeasing the wrongdoer. It's also not about, it's not, it's, forgiveness is not self-help. It's not self-healing. It's not a therapeutic tool to cope with life. That is not what forgiveness is. Contrary to popular books and and people that are out there teaching this sort of stuff, forgiveness that begins with people or their standard or their moral or their ethic, it's unbiblical. This is not true forgiveness. Are you getting it? Forgiveness is not about you. It's not about you. It's about the glory of God. As another author rightly says, forgiveness itself is a theology. Forgiveness itself is a theology, a the- theology built around God at its center. Forgiveness is its supernatural. It's miraculous. It's a divine gift from God through the work of His Spirit. We owe this immense debt, but we can't pay it. But, but by divine grace, he has forgiven us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, right? The wages, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We stand in the same position as a servant before the Lord. And we have nothing to bring to him. We have nothing to offer to him. Yet, yet, out of his grace, out of his mercy, he erases that debt. Right? He sets us free from the bondage of sin. In the same way that God forgives us of our debts, we then can and must forgive others. As Alexander Pope said, "To err is human; to forgive is divine." Do you realize that when you forgive others as God has forgiven you, you are acting godlike? Think about that for a second. You are acting godlike, just as Jesus, when he prayed for his murderers, "Father, forgive them." We are never more like Jesus than when we forgive. Another for their wrongdoing. So when you forgive others, you are actually displaying the gospel. You are actually displaying God's character in forgiving another. So as I, ex- as I explained to you earlier, it's an exchange. I-, I wanted to hit a little bit more on that. What does that exchange look like on a practical level, even in our church life, in our church family? What does that exchange between two people look like? Well, the sim- simplest way I could explain it is it's when one person is giving the apology and receiving the forgiveness, and the other person is accepting the apology and giving the pardon. Do you see that exchange? Do you see that transaction? Right? Let me repeat it again. It's when one person is giving the apology and receiving that forgiveness. And the other person is accepting that apology and giving that pardon. That's the exchange. So let me give you an example. In our own family, in our own life. Our children know that in our household, lying is not tolerable. We do not tolerate lying, at, at, at any level. Jenny and I will not tolerate it. And so if and when our kid, one of our kids, chooses to lie or says something that is, is a falsehood, it's not enough for our son to say, oh, I'm sorry, OK, thanks, see ya. And it's not, for, it's not for us to be just like, oh, OK, you said sorry, all right, all right, everything's good, see ya, no. That, it doesn't work that way. You, why? Because, because there is a brokenness in our relationship. And that brokenness needs to be restored. And so because the, seri- the, the, the seriousness of the offense and because there needs to be restoration, our son has to come to us and say, I am sorry, Mommy or Daddy. Please forgive me for lying to you. And so we as parents accept that apology and we give that pardon. Thank you, son, I appreciate you coming to me and I forgive you for lying and I love you. Thank you for apologizing. Do you see, there's, there has to be that transaction. There has to be an understanding between the two parties of what just took place, that it was an offense and that offense could turn into something much greater. And we need to reconcile, we need to restore that broken relationship. Now, in many cases, especially with our children, there will be consequences for that sin. But that is completely separate from the relationship that was restored, right? There will be consequences for your sins. Scripture makes it very clear. But at least that restoration of relationship, whether it's with your father in heaven or whether it's with others, has been restored. And there's peace. So that's the whole exchange that I'm talking about. Two questions I, I, I want you to think about this, this week as, as you meditate on, on forgiveness. I want to encourage you to think through this a little bit. Do you, in your own life, take the necessary steps to pursue reconciliation and forgiveness? Do you take those steps? Or are you just like, yeah, whatever, I forgive you, yeah, you know, and just kind of... Are very flippant or just very casual about an offense from another person or, or, or understanding the, the gravity or the weight of that offense? Do you take those necessary steps? And, and if you do, praise the Lord, that's great. And if you do, what does it look like? Can you explain that to someone else? Can you help others to see, maybe in our church or in our, with our children or in other family members, or even at work. Can you, what does that look like? So Jesus continues with the parable, right, to communicate actually what happens when that transaction or exchange actually fails between two people. And so notice the forgiveness that the servant received. He could not demonstrate that same forgiveness towards another servant. As we look at verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down, pleaded with him, Lord, have patience with me. I will pay you, and he refused, and and he went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. And so when the other fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were distressed, and they reported this to their master. And this master summoned him and said to him, you are a wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay back all his debt. Now notice, this servant went out and found another fellow servant. This is talking about the one another's. This is talking about us as believers, as followers followers. This isn't talking about some stranger, some random guy, you know, in another state or something like that. This is talking about the people that we are surrounded in, in our church, in our daily lives. And so there is so much parallelism in this exchange between the king and the servant and between these two servants. Here, the other, another servant owes him just as the first servant owed, right? And this time, it's only one 600,000th of the debt of the first servant. It's so tiny, it's so minuscule compared to what this first servant owed. Basically the servant owed about 100 days worth of work. It was actually a pretty reasonable amount to, to pay back. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, this is gonna take me forever. No, it was actually quite reasonable back then to, be, to owe a certain amount and 100 days worth was, was reasonable. In fact, whereas the first servant comically offered to repay everything, the second servant is actually less specific and and actually more realistic in his promise to pay back, to repay. Like, yeah, I I will pay you back. He was pretty sure he could pay that back. He just didn't have it with him at that moment, right? But notice this unforgiving servant. He becomes violent and cold-hearted towards the other servant. Even though he doesn't have the authority as the king has authority, he does the next best thing, the next cruelest thing, if you will, and he has him thrown into prison. I want you to understand that what this this unforgiving servant did in throwing the servant into, into the prison, actually, it really isn't necessarily bad. It wasn't illegal or unlawful. Back then, when you owed a certain amount of money and you couldn't pay it, there, there was a consequence. You were either thrown into jail or you went into indentured slavery, like where you worked to pay the money back. And so this wasn't something that was like out of the ordinary. I think what was more shocking, and I hope you see that, about this whole situation is the hypocrisy of the first servant in accepting the mercy of the king, but then failure to exercise that same mercy and generosity that he received. That's really the, the crux of it. It's the hypocrisy of this first servant who, ate, who owed so much so much, and yet he couldn't forgive this other fellow servant just this little amount. It's evident that the servant never really appreciated the value of the forgiveness which he received. He really never he, he never really embraced or understood or. Or accepted or appreciated the value of the forgiveness in his life. Do you, friends, understand the value of forgiveness which has been extended to you? I hope you do. I hope you do. So the other servant, what does he do? He he reports the unforgiving servant, and the, the king exercises a judgment. He exercises a punishment. And what all this brings about is you see the heart of the servant is exposed, right? And the forgiveness that was once received now is withdrawn from him because the servant proved that he was unworthy of the king's mercy. He was unworthy of the king's mercy because he could not extend that same mercy to another. So the king treats the unforgiving servant the same way that he treated the second servant, And actually, it's actually much worse, as the king orders him not only to be um, handed over to the jailers, but also to pay back all that he owed. The translation here does not do justice (laughs) to the word jailer. The translation uh, is very inaccurate. Uh, I think it's really toned down for us as, as readers. The better translation would be that he was handed over to torturers or tormentors for a painful punishment. Now let that sink in for a second. This wasn't like, oh, here's, go with the jailer. You're going to go sit in the jail, and so you'll rot there, but no, no, no. He was was handed over to torturers. He was handed over to tormentors where he would be punished, and it would be a painful punishment. And then Jesus gives us this very, very sobering warning. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Ooh. That's that, that, that dagger, right? I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty powerful. We read in, earlier in, the, um, in Matthew 6, what does Jesus say there? For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And here, the language is even more stronger, right? So my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, that you for if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The same way that this servant was treated is how you will be treated. The message to you and me should be very clear, which is God is very generous. He is gracious and abounding in mercy and love, but he will not tolerate unforgiving. He will not tolerate an unforgiving unforgiving spirit. The forgiveness that we extend to others must be genuine. It must be from the heart. If there is a pattern in your life, dear friend, of not forgiving another brother or sister, I wonder, and I want to encourage you, if you truly have been recipient of God's forgiveness in your life. I want to encourage you to wrestle through that, to think through that, and not just sweep it under the rug, or not just like, no, it's not that big of a deal. It's, it's costly. 1 John 3, 9 says, "'No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. We should forgive others because it is our new nature to forgive. We have no excuse for not forgiving another if we say that we abide with God, that we have a relationship with God. You represent the king. You are his ambassador. If you cannot forgive, then you are defaming his name and people will not see him in you. This also brings us to our second observation. And I want us to recognize this, that forgiveness is only possible because of God the Son. If you notice thus far... When the king forgave the servant, we never are told how that debt was forgiven, right? How that debt was paid. He only erased the debt and forgave him, but we're really never told how it was paid. In fact, Peter did not know it at the time of the parable, but we we know, we now know how that debt was paid, right? That debt, this debt that was paid for you and for me it was costly. It cost the king, it cost the father something so valuable, so valuable and so precious. It actually cost him his son. Jesus Christ became the very dead so that you could be granted that forgiveness. The forgiveness that is won by Christ comes at the price of his death for a real guilt and a real offense. I came across this, another quote, as I've been studying, and I thought this was really helpful. The very necessity of the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God as the ground for forgiveness should be sufficient to answer any accusation that Christian forgiveness is merely ignoring sin or trivializing sin or indulging the wicked. Christ has not dismissed sin. Instead, he has paid its full price. We sang earlier, Jesus paid it all. He paid all of your debt. The zillions of dollars, the zillions of sins that, has, that you have incurred, accrued, he has paid it all. The cross of Christ is our daily reminder which should convict us, which should pierce our hearts and fill us with compassion and mercy to motivate us to forgive others. Let Christ be your motivation because your own efforts to forgive or not to forgive will always fall short. And it could bring judgment upon you. And let Jesus' warning be a constant reminder that you will be held accountable if you cannot forgive another for a lesser offense than your own offense against God. And for this reason, we cannot ignore sin in the church or allow sin to break fellowship between believers, between another brother and a sister, to bring shame on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see why this is important for us and church life and how we do church? We must take it seriously. I want to conclude with one final word and I want to conclude with a word of hope and encouragement. We end with Jesus saying, you will be judged. And it's pretty, pretty serious. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty heavy. But I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to give you hope for those who might be actually struggling with forgiving or forgiveness this morning. I think so often many of us don't understand forgiveness or how to forgive because I think for many of us we may not truly accept the forgiveness that we have received. I'll be honest, I struggled with that in my life, in my, in my younger days. There was a season where I struggled with that. It's not that we don't believe in forgiveness. But there's a doubt. There's this constant nagging, nagging. Like, am I really forgiven? Like, have I completed, a, like, completely accepted His grace and mercy? Like, I don't feel forgiven. Like, I've done so much against Him, and I'm constantly doing more against Him. What do I need to do? Like, how do I pay this back? Do you see this? We, there's just this innate thing within us that we just, I want to, like, how do I pay you back? Like, what, what can I do? What can, how can I make it up? Dear friends, that's not how forgiveness works. If you're in that place right now where you're like, ugh, I don't know if I really accepted that forgiveness for myself. I want to encourage you. I want to give you hope. Please don't go through life wondering if you're forgiven. You actually can know the truth, and you can know the power of forgiveness in your life. How can you know the truth? Right here. How can you know the power of forgiveness? Right here. Believe and know that Christ became sin for you that he paid that debt on your behalf, but you must repent, right? And by humbly replant, by repenting, you humbly acknowledge and confess your sins before God. And you ask for his forgiveness. He will forgive you. Have faith. Our God doesn't lie. Our God does not contradict Our God is constant. He is true. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he says he will forgive you, he is merciful and he will do what he says. But you must come to a place where you know that there's nothing that you can do to earn that forgiveness. It is all by his grace. It is all because of him. there is hope and there is restoration and there is forgiveness for all those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, oh, I'm telling you, there is a peace and there is an assurance that no matter what happens or no matter how other people may treat you or, or, or hurt you, now I'm not saying it's easy, but you will be able to extend that forgiveness and you will find peace. And so I would hope and I would encourage that we, as a church, we as brothers and sisters, we as a family, that we would extend that same grace and mercy and love towards one another in forgiving one another quickly and restoring and reconciling those relationships. for our sake and for the sake of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, thank you for forgiving us. Lord, we deserve death. We deserve eternal punishment. We should be tormented. We should be hand it over to the torturers because our offense is so great against you. But praise God that it doesn't stop right there. Lord, praise God that that was not the end. Lord, that you extended mercy and grace and love and compassion towards us by condescending, by sending your son to actually pay for that debt that we owe you. For wiping the, the sins from the record book. And Lord, for restoring us and restoring our relationship because you made a way for us to be able to do that. So Father, thank you. And Lord, the same grace and mercy that you, give, you have provided for us and you extend to us, may we do the same in extending to our brothers and sisters. And may we be quick to forgive. May we be quick to listen and slow to speak. May we practice the one another's and live in harmony and in peace with one another for your kingdom and for your glory and for your honor. Amen.